welcome to 143 Pixels. I'm Bill, and we're here to talk about games that we love. Each episode, I bring a friend, and that friend brings a game to discuss. This week, my friend is Per Schneider, and the game that he brought is The Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past. The first time that I met Pear was when he guested on one of my other podcasts, Nintendo Switchcraft. I'd been listening to him talk about video games for a very, very long time on Nintendo Voice Chat, and I took the chance to see if he would come on my show and talk about video games. So I sent him a tweet, and he said, absolutely, uh, gave me his email address, and we emailed back and forth and worked out a time, and then he was on my show, and that was the first time that I met him, was when he guested on one of my shows. So when I started 143 Pixels, I always knew that I wanted to talk to Pear about one of his favorite games because he is extremely passionate about video games. So I knew that I had to talk to him. Uh, eventually, I, I decided to send him a message, and he said, yes, absolutely, I'll come on 143 Pixels. And uh, then the pandemic hit, which meant it was, took us a long time to get around to actually sitting down to recording it. But, uh, you know, we're sitting here in the middle of July, and I just finished recording with him. And we had an absolute blast. He was he was really, really awesome. We talked about how the pandemic has changed his job. We talked about our favorite dungeons in A Link to the Past on the Super Nintendo. Uh, we talked about the the pivotal moments of uh, of the Zelda games, especially this one. Uh, we we talked about what kind of art style would we want for a remake of. Um, of A Link to the Past. We talked about how he left gaming as a hobby and eventually came back thanks to the Super Famicom. We talked about how he learned to speak and read Japanese thanks to the video games that he was playing and how the game design had to be good enough that he could still play even having that language barrier and sometimes even getting stuck in the games because of the language. Because we talk about our favorite dungeons and the pivotal moments in the game, there are big spoilers uh, going forward. So if you've never played A Link to the Past, first off, it is, in my opinion, the second best game of all time. So what are you doing? Pause this. Go play A Link to the Past. It's an amazing achievement in gaming. And then come back and listen to this. Uh, but this is pretty heavy on the spoilers. All right, if you did not know who Pear Schneider is, he founded a popular Nintendo fan site called Nintendojo. Later, he ended up running N64.com, which later rebranded to IGN64, at which point he became one of the founders of the gaming website IGN Entertainment. He's currently the general manager at IGN and regularly participates in the Nintendo Voice Chat podcast. You can find Pear on Twitter at PearIGN, that's P-E-E-R-I-G-N. And now that you know more about my guest, I'm going to tell you all about A Link to the Past. But first, let's take a quick break. Introducing the epic challenge that only the Super Nintendo Entertainment System could make possible. Across endless land and water, you search. Deep into a parallel world, where light becomes dark, you search. And just when you think your search has ended, you 
find it's just begun. The new Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past. Now you're playing with power and superpower. I can't believe that we've gotten to season four having never talked about The Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past. It is, without a doubt, in my opinion, one of the greatest games ever made. It's amazing, and every time I play it, I'm astounded by how well it holds up over time. The game was originally uh, made and released on November 21st, 1991. It was developed and published by Nintendo for the Super Famicom and Super NES. It is an action, I don't want to say RPG, but an adventure game, really. Uh, You play from a top-down perspective, and you play as Link, trying to save Zelda and Hyrule from... Ganon, the the evil forces of Ganon. Let's take a look at the back of the box. The Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past. Fantasy and reality collide in a land of enchantment. Venture back to Hyrule in an age of magic and heroes. The predecessors of Link and Zelda face monsters on the march when a menacing magician takes over the kingdom. Only you can prevent his evil plot from shattering the land of Hyrule. In your quest, you'll venture into twisting mazes, dungeons, palaces, and shadowy forests. Test your mettle with the mighty swords and magical weapons, or heft a boulder and hurl it at your enemies. If the going gets tough, dive into a river. You can swim to escape, learn powerful spells, locate magical artifacts, and solve the mysteries of the evil magician and the hidden realm of Hyrule. This exciting Super NES sequel to The Legend of Zelda and The Adventure of Link uses 16-bit power to create a quest so colorful and detailed, you won't just play it, you'll live it. A Link to the Past did really well. I mean, of course it did. It was one of the greatest games of all time. It was on the Nintendo Power Top Games list at the number one spot for five years in a row, which is just astounding. And then I looked up the sales data. The game originally on the Super NES sold 4.1, I'm sorry, 4.61 million units, which gave it an attach rate of only around 10%. That is honestly a lot lower than I thought it would be. If you talk to anybody that I've ever spoken to who had a Super Nintendo, they had a copy of this game. Everybody did. I'm flabbergasted that it only sold 4.61 million units worldwide. That being said, it was still an amazing game, and uh, the reception from critics and gamers alike was really, really good. I went through and found some old reviews of the game from 1992. Um, Let's start with uh, All Games Guide. They said, while this game may have been a long time coming, it was well worth the wait. The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past provides hours of action and a surprising amount of replay value as well. The graphics are vibrant and the music is infectious, which enhances the enjoyment. The story itself is well written and adds to the game's charm. Finally, players will be delighted with the multitude of creatures and objects with which Link is able to interact. It is a must-have cartridge for the Super NES and is certain to entertain both veteran Zelda fans 
as well as those new to the series. Fun fact, uh, you'll find this out in the interview, but this was the first Zelda game that Pear had actually played. Computer and Video Games uh, also reviewed the game in 1992. They said the game has a lot in common with Gauntlet and games of that ilk, which I don't see the comparison of Gauntlet other than the top-down view. Anyway, back to their review. They said most of the logic problems involve finding your way out of traps and mazes. You'll also have to decide which weapons or magic powers are best suited to your tasks. The graphics are very simple, but the animation is fluid and the game is packed full of color. Sound-wise, Zelda 3 is spot... It's so weird to hear somebody call it Zelda 3. Um, Zelda 3 is spot on. It has some great orchestral scores and lovely sound effects throughout. The Japanese text might look daunting, but it doesn't affect the gameplay much at all. If you like the first two games, or if you fancy a spot on RPG-related malarkey, then get this straight away. It's a corker. I don't know what a corker is, but that sounds like a good thing. Now, this last one I'm including because it's very hilarious and also very short. (laughs) This is Nintendo Magazine System UK, which I feel like the name of the publication is wrong. I would have said Nintendo System Magazine UK instead of Nintendo Magazine System. But hey, I'm not in charge back in 1991. I was in high school. Uh, Nintendo Magazine System UK said... (laughs) the best adventure you can get for any console. It's the bee's knees. It's the cat's whiskers. It's the donkey's armpits. It's Zelda 3. Okay, I've talked about this game for long enough. It's just about time to get to the interview. Before we do, I just want to say that a couple of trivia things about this game. It is the fourth most played game over at speedrun.com. Very popular game with speedrunners, which actually surprises me. So I looked up how long the, like, what is the record for speedrunning A Link to the Past? And it's only one hour and 23 minutes and seven seconds. That is crazy to me. I cannot imagine uh, going through the the game that fast. I feel like it's almost uh, a a shame to go through the game that fast. Um, There was a, a competition uh, in Nintendo Power, which is an old magazine, sometimes I will, um, I have digital versions of uh, Nintendo Power, and sometimes I'll read it on my iPad just because it's cool looking back at that old stuff. But there was an old contest where uh, people wrote in, and you know, one of them would be included in an unnamed game, and nobody knew what game it was going to be. Well, the winner was Chris Houlihan. And uh, there's actually this very, very well-hidden secret room with his name written on the wall in the game. Uh, he won this contest, and I guess the this room was built as a way to keep the game from crashing. So if the game didn't know where Link was supposed to go next, it would teleport him to this room as like a fail-safe. And uh, Chris Houlihan would be there, and he'd say... Uh, hey, I'm Chris Houlihan. Let's keep this place a secret between us. And I think there was like 44 rupees or something like that in there, which I thought was really cool. Okay. It's time for me to to let you listen to uh, Per Schneider talk about this game. So thank you all for listening and uh, we'll see you on the other side.
Everything is harder to do from home, you know? Mm -hmm. Like the time we gain back by not having to drive somewhere or maybe travel somewhere, you lose in trying to figure out how to do your job remotely, right? It, it might take extra people to do a, a live stream with multiple people on board. You might have to, you know, you might have bottlenecks on in production because only, uh, only select people have fast enough connections to be able to um, facilitate live encoding from their homes and all of that. So it's it's been... Uh, been a little challenging yeah well uh so most of the time uh people tell me what the game is that they've picked ahead of time and uh pear okay. pear schneider said well bill can just wait <laughs> so what game did you pick um hold on a second so what give me the rules uh the the full rules again uh, there are no rules you pick a game that you love and any system any time period so just a game that means something special to you yeah Okay. Yeah, no, I, you know, like I, I'm playing Ghost of Tsushima right now, but, you know, if I go to kind of like the, the special game for me, I would have to go with Link to the Past. Okay. When, when mm -hmm. uh, now I know that you are from Germany and then moved to Japan. So when you played Link to the Past uh, for the first time, where were you? I was in Japan. I played it on the Super Famicom in Japanese. Um, I played it in English much, much later. I forget probably one of the one of the ports um, uh, on one of the other machines later. But yeah, I played it uh, right uh, back in the early '90s while I was living in Tokyo. So when let me ask you a question about uh, Tokyo. When you moved to Tokyo, did you already speak the language, or did video games help you learn the language while you were there? Aha, yeah. So. That's exactly it. I moved to Japan to go to college, but um, go to a four-year college uh, called Sofia University in the heart of Tokyo. I did not speak Japanese. Um, they actually offer uh, and still do an English language program, Bachelor of Arts, um, that back then was compar uh, called Comparative Culture, Kakabunka Gakubu. And uh, you would... in the in this course, you would learn about Japan, Japanese culture, Japanese literature, and you would take Japanese language classes as well. Um, so, you know, learning how to speak, read, write, all of that. Um, and uh, yeah, so it was a little bit of a leap into the unknown. I grew up in Germany. Uh, I knew I wanted to go to university abroad. I was thinking about going to the United States and then this opportunity opened itself for uh, to go to Japan. I had never, never thought about it before. It didn't really have a special connection to Japan other than, uh, you know, loving some of the, uh, you know, uh, some of the movies, uh, you know, like Kurosawa movies and all of that stuff. Um, yeah, and then made the leap. And that's where I fell in love with uh, Super Famicom and obviously ended up playing a game like Link to the Past. So now go ahead. Yeah. And, and then you, you put your finger on it. Actually, those games... Um, 
you know, games on the Super NES didn't have much voice acting, obviously. And so it was all about trying to decipher what the text said in some of those games. So I played games like Final Fantasy, uh, you know, like all the big RPGs really fell in love with that genre, action adventures like the Zelda games. And had my little uh, my little digital uh, kanji dictionary next to me. They were called word tanks. These little uh, these little devices that you could you could type in the strokes and radicals for the kanjis and kind of piece together words like chimimoryo, which means like goblin, and like dokutsu, like cave, like all these words that you wouldn't learn in Japanese class, and <laughs> figured out how to read those. And so I, I think I built a good chunk of my kanji um vocabulary back then by by just trying to play these games do, do you think that that says something about uh the game design back then that the game design was so good that even uh somebody who struggles to understand the language was still able to figure out the game or did did it take you forever because you had to translate every little thing no, I, I will say sometimes in, in some games like Final Fantasy, you know, misunderstanding the exact quest and what they were asking for because the games didn't have the kind of hand-holdy hint mechanics that you have in games nowadays, right? Mm -hmm. Even in Zelda, there was no Navi going, hey, and pointing at something. So <laughs> there, there were definitely times where I just didn't know where to go in a game like I think it was... I remember buying the guidebooks and I may actually have some of them here still on the shelf for like um some of the some of the games. Uh but like you play Super Metroid, you you know, Samus didn't say a word and you really didn't need to be able to understand or even read anything in order to progress. There was one thing in Link to the Past I remember getting stuck for the longest time on the um on the concept of using your torch to light um the, your lantern to light torches. Okay. Like, I didn't know that. And there was one room where you had to light all the torches in order for the room to expand. And I was stuck there and I couldn't figure it out. And I did buy the guidebook, um, <laughs> which I still have. It comes in two editions. There's an upper and a lower version of the guidebook. So like the beginning and the end parts broken into two. And like that one, that got me unstuck. And then I didn't use the guidebook much after that, but. I needed that little helping hand because I think I missed someone explaining how the lantern worked. Earlier. <laughs> so uh, you're in Japan um, yep. and you're in the store and you see uh, Zelda sitting on the shelf for the Super Famicom. Uh, yep. Were you already a fan of Zelda from the original one? Or was you? did you just look at it and say, oh, that looks kind of cool. Let me check that out. Or why is it green? <laughs> No, that was actually that's how I discovered it. So um, I, you know, I I grew up in Germany, so I grew up in the age of home computers. Like think Commodore sixty four and Atari six hundred, eight hundred, and the XL series, and you know, like the STs weren't out yet, but it was all that Sinclair's uh, Spectrum that age. And so I had gotten really into games back then, and I had an Atari home computer, and there were excellent conversions of Donkey Kong. Uh, on that machine, so it had been exposed to some some early Nintendo stuff like that, um, but really wasn't wasn't a, a you know a Nintendo fan. And uh, when the whole uh, dot com crash happened, a uh, dot com crash. When the whole console war, uh, the console crash happened, and things ground to a halt, I kind of stopped playing games honestly. And when I moved to Japan, I had um, I had a really crappy PC. And I played some MS-DOS games on it, but that was about it. I had ignored the coming of the NES, you know, like 
had just was into different things um, after the home computers uh, were, were done and the Atari VCS was done. And so it took um, my then wife and my best friend in Japan, they bought me a Super Famicom for my birthday with a copy of Super Mario World. I played that game. It, it got me right back in. Um, first of all, I was just amazed at how good the game design was in that game. And I had played games on home computers. And back then, you always had a friend who gave you a bunch of discs with games you didn't pay for. And I had played like thousands of games. And I had, with a lot of games, you kind of, you start and you scratch the surface and you're like, okay, I'm out. This is not that good. There were some games like Pitfall 2 where I just played through the whole game. I absolutely loved it. You know, a lot of the early Activision games were really cool. Mm -hmm. With Super Mario World, there was such a distinct difference in how thoughtful the level design was to some of the earlier platformers. Um, I was like, oh my God, is this, is this the, is this just the standard on this machine? So when I finished Mario World, I immediately went out and I looked for other games and, uh, I, I looked at the box art of the Legend of Zelda and yes, it was, you know, the Super Famicom cartridges, um, had many different colors. This one was a, a green box with Link on the cover. And I looked at the back, and I'm like, okay, this looks really cool. Like, graphic style looked really cool. And then, you know, it said it was made by Nintendo, and I, I was so impressed with Super Mario World that I'm like, all right, I'm going to take I'm gonna take a chance on this one. I bought so many different games. Like, I bought, you know, I bought everything from, like, Namco, Bandai, and, like, ran into so many really bad games as well. But, like, I brought this one home because it looked good. The box looked good. I didn't do any research. <laughs> so you get it home. You turn it on for the first time. That intro music. Oh, my God. That intro music is so amazing. Um, what? When do you realize that you've got something incredibly special on your hands here? Like how far into the game do you get before, you, before you're like, dear diary, someday I'm going to be talking about this on a podcast? <laughs> Yeah, so um, the opening was definitely um, impressive already because they had done polygonal, they had done this polygonal Triforce animation there, right? Like, mm -hmm. and I think I, I played this, I want to say it was like 1991. Um, when when did Link to the Past come out again in, in Japan? Um, I don't know. Let's see, uh, I, I am using what's called a computer. Um, and... Uh, so uh, I, I had played it early, but not right at launch, I think. Okay, it says, um, December, no, okay, that's Japan is November 21st, 1991. So yeah, you know what? Actually, I think I played it right, like probably that December or something, like not long after launch. And so this was before, you know, arcades had exploded with polygonal games, like Virtual Racing came out, I think, 92. And so I saw the polygonal animation. I'm like, whoa, hold on a second. That looks really cool. Um, how, are they, how are they doing all this stuff? And um, the uh, play, you know, played the game when it started in the house and it had this muted music with the sound of the rain and like this like this this dark room and then you go outside and it's like that that rain i will forever remember that rain and that sequence and what that game felt and the way it sounded and how i walked out i'm like okay i got the, i'm on this somewhat guided path and exploring and i don't have any weapons and i'm like i was instantly intrigued to think about where this would go 
and then you uh i think you go into the hyrule castle you find your you find your uncle and you get your sword and like just hitting the sword button all of that felt good everything felt right and it sounded great and the sound of the rain when you were indoors and the castle was still going on and muted in the background and it was just this moment of realizing wow this team put so much work into the cinematic angle like really creating this story and has this this amazing attention to detail and how things sound and look and i i i instantly thought okay this is something special you did well. You picked well. Uh, and then I kept exploring this this game. And as you get out of the castle and you realize it is this open world, I was like, okay, this is so different from anything else that I've played. You know, yeah. and I played some, I'd say I played some early like Ultima role-playing games like that, but they looked so different. This looked beautiful and it seemed so open. It looked like you could do anything in the world. Yeah, you, you, the, the, the thing that you're saying about the attention to detail like when you first get the sword and then they they give you that tutorial maybe you missed it because it was in japanese but they give you that little tutorial where they're mm. like hold down the b button yep. for a second and then you could see like the sparks filling up the sword like a, a, a lesser yep. developer might have said all right we're going to put a little meter above link when uh you when you hold that down but instead they have the sparks on the end of the sword as the the key to show you that you've that you've got that right and you know the way that he moves the sword during combat it's not just a thrust out it's like this i don't know like a wave to and i just i love the way that they that they did that and oh my god you are 100 about the uh, 100 right about the rain that intro scene i never thought of it as (laughs) being cinematic but it absolutely is even though i never thought of it that way so you yeah, and, you, like, and, and even just even just the the audio language of the text being displayed, right? It's like bloop, like the uh-huh. way like it it's such a instantly memorable sound as the I can hear it. I can hear the sound of the text being parsed, the sound of the rain in the background, and the really kind of quiet music going on. It's so cool. It absolutely is. So, what's your favorite dungeon in the game? Um, let me think about that. Um, I really like the, I really love the hookshot in that game. When I found the hookshot, that was another one of those epiphany moments. Like, wow, that's a tool I've never seen in a game and implemented with this sort of, like, with these thoughtful puzzles. So that whole, um, you know, the little water temple, the little water dungeon there. Um, I really like that where you had to like, catapult yourself or pull yourself across like gaps and across the water and then you had to let the water out um really like that one i think the castle is actually really strong too because it has these moments that are we take them for granted but it had like early kind of stealth moments where you're sneaking behind the guards and then you smash into them and knock them off the edges like it had all (laughs) this gameplay variety in it but um yeah, I mean, like that's that's tough. the uh, The whole game has so many great moments. Yeah, you're um, right so about the uh, the hook shot. Oh, the desert temple too. Yeah, what, what the was desert that? temple was cool. The the one in the desert too. Oh like yeah. The, uh, I forgot. The, I'm forgetting the names. And again, I played it mostly in Japanese. But uh, the, that you have to open. Uh, you know, you have to open it up first, and and it's like like it does the little uh-huh. circular thing to open up the temple i love that one too and and then you end up leaving the temple like you come outside and and i remember that moment when i'm going through that temple 
and I go through this exit and I'm like, wait a second, now I'm outside. What am I supposed to do? And then there's another yep. part to the temple hidden off to the side. I thought that that was really cool. And then you brought that up was- the, the thing about the hook shot really gave the, that temple with the hook that, that focused on the hook shot heavily, almost a yeah. three dimensional aspect to it, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. They, the desert, yeah, get, get dropping out of the mouth of that statue was just really cool because I don't know. I mean, again, like we take so much for granted about how this game is designed, but just the fact how they pulled off height in a 2D top down game, like the way it looks and how you can tell that you're walking uh, above certain levels and um, you really get a sense for the space. And then, of course, they go nuts with it later. Remember the one where you have to you have to break the you have to bomb the floor so the sunshine falls through and exposes that the little girl is a monster. Right. Like, yeah, all of these like the just the three dimensional thinking that you hadn't seen in games like that before. Or there's a there's a hidden thing where you find a fairy well where you fall into one of the big urns, one of the big pots and it's like he keeps on falling down <laughs> level after level until you go to the secret basement level like that adding height to a 2d top-down game was freaking inspired it's so good and the, the the way that they give you the tools to figure that stuff out like the map yep. having like the map having all of the levels right there and you could page through it and see everything i just thought that was i mean going from the first one to, to yep. this one was just it was so amazing that they were able to pull that off so how long do you think it took you to finish that game the first time around Ooh, i don't know i, I really I can't, I can't remember it you know look these were my college days we're talking <laughs> like 1991 so it's all a blur there were, there was also a lot of partying but i really spent my time with that game i found every single thing I didn't want it to. Uh, I didn't want it to end. It was just so cool. Um, I'm trying to. I think was it Misery Meyer? Was that the? Uh, it's like the sixth dungeon, right? Oh, I know that was in the dark. Memory. That was I in never... the dark world. Oh yeah. yeah. No, that was in the dark world. But yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember what they were called. It was the Desert Palace. That's right. Mm. It was the Desert Palace. That one was cool. And then there was the Swamp Palace. I think that's the Water Temple one, right? Wasn't it? I think so. Uh, yeah. So you mentioned oh, the man, Dark World. Was that Mm -hmm. like that had to be like for me? It was a huge surprise. Like you're playing the game and you're like, okay, I've 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 done everything, and then they're like, oh wait a second, Uh, now we're gonna take this whole map that you've been exploring, and we're going to give you a different copy of it, and you're gonna be able to go back and forth between these two copies of the world. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that was another one of those pivotal moments where you get to this point and. You had, you know, as a player, I remember, and this, this, by the way, this happened a couple of times with Nintendo games where you think you've seen it all. Like it happens in Zelda games where like, okay, you know, I have the three amulets and like, I am now going to face down the ultimate enemy. It goes, I got, I got, look, five more dungeons. Like it does this <laughs> thing where you just can't believe how much stuff they packed into these tiny cartridges. And this game did that for me where I thought... I never guessed that there was a dark world underneath. Uh, and um, when you you first get turned into the rabbit and it's really annoying and you're like, why <laughs> am I stuck in this stupid version of the world as the rabbit? And then when you get the ability to freely transport back and forth, um, 
it's really an example of an early open world game where you want to just see what things look like in the other realm, right? Like you you do the rare, 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 and like you trend you transport um, to the other realm, and you're like, oh my god, the rock that was here is actually not here, and I can get through, and now I need to figure out how to get back. And oh man, what amazing game design! There was a heart piece that was. I think it was elevated in one one realm and you went to the other realm in order to get there. Like, just freaking brilliant. Um, it's been done a couple of times since then, right? Like, Metroid Prime 2 did it. Obviously, Ocarina of Time does it in a, in a different fa- fashion with the passage of time. But I feel like never as well as here, Chrono Trigger did it too, never as well as here where on the spot you can trans- transport between the two worlds and, um, and see the differences like that. It's so cool. Did you uh, play through the game multiple times or did you finish it and then you were like, all right, I got to move on to other things? So at the time I finished it and then I moved on to another game because like I, you know, I was without having read up on it or, you know, having the benefit of uh, having experienced the uh, NES library at the time or the Famicom library. um, I went back and played a lot of the original games after the Super NES Um and obviously, I'm still discovering games uh, like, uh, you know, uh, through re-releases on Switch that I hadn't played back then. Um, but I then I then went nuts. And honestly, I did neglect my studies a bit in that I looked for every game that had a Made by Nintendo logo on it, like anything that Nintendo itself had made. Um, I stumbled then into a lot of the Konami uh, games, um, you know, the treasure, like the uh, former before they were treasure, uh, a lot of the uh, the games um, and KCE Osaka, I think as well. Um, you know, like thinking of Axelay, Goemon, you know, the Castlevanias, all of that stuff. Then you know, I got hooked on Konami. Then I went to Capcom, and I'm like playing all the uh, all the original classics and did did Breath of Fire and all of that later. So I I just completely got hooked, and I don't think I replayed Link to the Past until. You know, once I I kind of went, I had exhausted the lineup of amazing classics and and new games that were coming out. Remember, the Super Famicom was on fire. You saw, we saw so many games released for that system. We got three full Final Fantasy games on that system, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, so there was a lot to play in, and these weren't small games. So between, you know, all of what Square had built, like... Final Fantasies, Chrono Trigger, Secret of Mana, games that we didn't see here, like Live Alive is one of my favorites that never made it out to the in the West. Uh, we got Seiken Densetsu 2, even like Secret of, the, the third Secret of Mana game. Um, uh, Seiken 3, sorry. Um, second Secret of Mana game. There was just so much to play that I didn't revisit Link to the Past until way later. So how long do you and, think it was before you played it again, roughly? I think it was probably another four or five years before i played it again and then i mean since then i've probably finished link to the past like a good 10 times so is there anything that you've like on your subsequent replays of the game you're you're going through and you're playing again were there things that you were like oh my god i can't believe that i missed this the first time around no because i went crazy the first time i played it i think i found everything there were just a couple of things maybe that i didn't do like sprinkle the powder on everything and see what happens so those were some of the things that i um that i saw later um i'm, I'm trying to remember it's all you know once you've played again 10 times yeah game 10 times you don't really remember what you didn't see the first playthrough around i it it was remarkable that i had forgotten some of the stuff and like i can 
I know exactly where everything is in this game world, but there were a couple of hangups where I didn't know how to get all the way to the top of uh, the mountain or like I didn't remember how to get out of the bunny state like when I replayed it. I remember there were a couple of hangups and they weren't related to me not reading the language. Um, and by the way, like Link to the Past, I think most of it is just hiragana, so it was easy to read too. I don't know how I missed the the whole hint about the, uh, the torch, but... Um, no, it's uh, I. I feel like I I know that world as well as my own house. <laughs> so you must have been pretty excited, and I know that this isn't about Link to the Past, but you must have been pretty mm -hmm. excited to revisit that world when uh, the I I don't want to say sequel, but kind of the sequel came to the 3ds. Um, yeah, and you know I I. I like Link Between Worlds a, a lot because of the similarities. Um, I don't love the art style for the the characters, for example. So there was like, you know, there was this, oh man, like it's it's kind of like this un uncanny valley thing where I'm like, I have all these great memories of the original and then this game just has some changes that I didn't love. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I went in and I, and I really, really enjoyed it. I think it's a fantastic game and just some of the... I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but like some of the solutions to boss fights are just so daring. Like, you know, we had played all these games where you're battling the boss and then sometimes the solution is to just shoot the arrow the other way. Like, you know, it's like mm -hmm. there, there's so many amazing moments in Link, Link Between Worlds as well. Um, uh, I am still waiting for the equivalent of a Link's Awakening remake um, polygonal down top-down view of... Um, of Link to the Past, because to me, like when whenever you ask me what is your favorite game of all time, I kind of waver. I go between uh, Ocarina of Time and Link to the Past and Breath of the World. I mean, I'm, Breath of the Wild. I mean, you see a little bit of a theme there. Yeah. Uh, once sometimes I go, ah, oh, Super Metroid, though, so good. And you know, they're they're obviously uh, newer games that I really love too, like the The Witcher Three. I think is just absolutely fantastic. Um, and. Uh, but Link to the Past is really the one that just is the most special to me because I feel like, you know, Ocarina of Time really builds on Link to the Past. And obviously Link to the Past builds on the original Zelda, but I hadn't experienced that. And, you know, there's Zelda 2 in between, which couldn't be any more different. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, you know, it's just like Link to the Past is the one that cemented my experience with these tools, the hookshot, the bow and arrow, the fire and ice and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why I always go back to it. So my favorite, uh, well, actually, before we get to that, you um, you mentioned um, it's only a matter of time before we get the uh, the remake uh, in a different art style. Uh, what yep. art style would you like? Let's say Nintendo calls calls you up and they say, "Pair, you have <laughs> been a big fan of Zelda for a long time. You get to pick the art style for." our remake of uh, A Link to the Past. What what do you tell them? Yeah, I don't think there was anything wrong with the uh, environmental graphics in, uh, in between uh, Link Between Worlds. Or, you know, I really like the look of, um, of Link's Awakening as well. I just want the characters to look a little bit more what I remember. And there, if you think about Link to the Past, there are two art styles. There's the one that's on the cover and in the manual, which is... Ironically, a little bit more like uh, you know, like the CDI spin-offs that came later <laughs> with the 
with a more like a more animated looking link right like the, mm -hmm. he looks taller um it would be kind of cool to do a real anime look like that with cell shading something like a top-down wind waker um i would love to see that style but i'd be totally fine with uh, Link's awakening kind of like a toy look for that game as well because the trees looked the trees looked like you know they were very stylized and the landscape was very stylized so um, i think they could go that route yeah. i don't want it to look like top down ocarina of time or anything Mm -hmm. I, I absolutely loved, by the way, uh, Link's Awakening. I had never played the original on the Game Boy because I didn't yep. have a Game Boy until much later. Um, and so my first experience of it was playing uh, the Switch version, and that just blew me away. It was such a cool game, but I loved the art style. Uh, so I would like to see... I, I, I would like them to make sure that they don't repeat that art style, even though I really, really love it. Because I think yeah. that they can, uh, Nintendo's so good at taking our expectations and saying, all right, here you go. Uh, and, and everybody's just like, remember when they showed us Link's Awakening on the Switch. And we we're like, are you kidding me? How, like, who came up with this? It's brilliant. I, I'm with you. I don't want, you know, I don't want a yarn game and then the next game to be a yarn <laughs> game either, right? Like we, we've seen them play with so many different art styles with, uh, with Kirby, you're getting Paper Mario now where they're again adding a little bit more of a twist. They're doing like, they're taking the paper approach, but they're making it all about origami and like, you know, there's like weird paper mache enemies and all of that. I love when they get creative like that, where they have a concept and then they expand on it. But yeah, I, I, I would say the one look that I'm just very fond of and that I think they could do even better today is the Wind Waker cell shaded art look. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like if you if they tried and they've done re a really nice job, for example, with the uh, Fire Emblem cutscenes, right? They look like animated movies already. They look like anime, but like I am, I think like something that looks like a classic animated film with like thick ink lines or something could be really cool. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't want them to just repeat themselves either. Yeah, Wind Waker. Oh my God, that game holds oh, up good. so well because of the art style that they chose, which is so weird because it was such a controversial decision back then when they did that. Um, yeah, it's just so amazing that you look at this. Even even the GameCube version of it, you look at it and you're like, man, this game is gorgeous. Even by today's standards, it's it's pretty amazing. The Zelda franchise as a whole, and and I. I do not love the touchscreen games as much as I like the games where I'm in direct control of Link. I mean, they're they are different in that they're puzzle games, and I like them and I enjoy. Them. Fondest are the traditional action adventure games, going from like Link to the Past, Majora's Mask, all of those. Um, Zelda Two is a really cool curiosity. Like it's the only RPG in the entire series with you know leveling up and all of that. Um, and I like it for that, but like I, it, it really is the, the Link to the Past Wind Waker model that I love the most. Now, one notable thing about Link to the Past is, as we got re-releases of Link's Awakening and Wind Waker, I think the design team looked at the game flow and said we need to make some small tweaks. With Wind Waker, I'd actually played the original Japanese Wind Waker, which um, the Triforce quests are much more of a pain in the butt. Like you can't see which ones you've completed. So you really need to keep track of things. And I, I got stuck there. Like I just couldn't find this one 
this one ship that you need to ch chase down and like you really lo lost track in the original version so they had already tweaked it for the us release but the fast sailing really changes the game with the wii u version and like that is such a smart change that should have been in the original and with um link's awakening you know the uh the fast travel options they they you know they they tweaked some stuff about the game but i feel like they could have tweaked it more it's like traversal of this the overworld in Link's Awakening more than any other is this puzzle and you have to remember how to get to the different places and it becomes a little cumbersome as you get deeper into the game I think sometimes you just want to go back to town right because yeah. you want to trade in your shells or do whatever and like the game doesn't make it easy because there's no landing spot in the town and like I feel like they could have tweaked that more Link to the Past I don't have any of those feelings I feel like don't touch anything. Just leave it alone. <laughs> you don't need to add anything. Like that game is that game is perfect. And it's hard to say that about very many games. And I think uh, a majority of I, well, I don't I don't want to say a majority of people. I would say there is yep. a great many people that would agree with you when you say that that is a perfect game, which is yep. it's hard to say. Uh, what's your it, go ahead. No, no, they're not. They're, they're actually not that many games where I would say that. And like at IGN, we give games 10, right? 10 means that's our highest recommendation and we now grade on a full scale. So we will give games 10 that aren't perfect, right? A game may have issues. Like The Last of Us 2 has issues. Like the last act felt like it was drawn out, but the experience was just so beyond anything else. Like the Naughty Dog just puts this this attention to detail, sorry to repeat myself, into into a game where like I haven't seen characters that believable and in, interact in these ways in any other games, and you want to reward that. And I feel like there are games like that that Nintendo has made where, you know, you, Ocarina of Time is a 10 in that it breaks so much new ground, it's so great, but it does have some issues, right? Like, there are some hold-ups, and, like, it doesn't age as well as a Wind Waker graphically. And, um, but... Uh, Link to the Past is perfect. Like the art style aged perfectly, just like Super Metroid. You can play that now and you're like, man, that is a just a fantastic experience. And I would give that a 10 to any day too. Uh, and I think of all of the Zelda games, I think that that one probably has the best sound design, in my opinion. Oh, man, yeah. Yep. Yeah. The, uh, the way, first of all, the Super NES sound chip was just godly. And the way the string sound when you go into like Kakariko town, the way that sounds, it's just so warm and beautiful. And then the overworld theme, like the trumpets, everything like the horns in that game, everything sounds great. And then just the subtle sound of the, all of the weapons. Like we talked about the hookshot, the way the hookshot sounds, the way the swords uh, sounds when you hit something you can't destroy the way mm -hmm. You know, like it, sometimes it's this mix of realism and video game sounds. Like you kill something and it goes like, like it has this weird sound effect that can <laughs> only come from Link to the Past, right? Or when uh, when you hit those weird like spinny enemies that you can't slash with your uh, with your sword, you can kill them with a with the magic powder or you can deflect them. But like the way everything sounds, every interaction is memorable. And like the sound, like you can recognize the sound effects of the of the enemies or the, the music of the areas and know where you are, even when you're not looking at the game. Do you, when, when was the last time that you played it, do you think? I don't know, like 
six months ago. <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty it, recent. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, with the Super NES Classic, um, mm -hmm. I don't have my my old Super Famicom hooked up right now, but um, I have the Super NES Classic hooked up, and then obviously you've got these games on Switch as well. So I do revisit them, and, you know, I have three kids. They're all teens now. Um, I got two of them to play through Link to the Past, so that's a success, two out of three, so I'm still working on the third. There you go. Um, yeah. Can can you sit down and play the beginning of Link to the Past without then committing to, okay, I got to finish this now? That's really tough. It's really tough to walk away um, because you, yeah, it's, it's just like you know what follows. And it's this game is so perfectly mounted because it is on a fixed path. And not that it's a complete open world, right? The game obviously guides you, but you get to this point where you can do things out of order and uh, you can go after heart pieces or, or get the flippers and all of that. So mm -hmm. um, just knowing what follow, follows, it would be really difficult to start and then not keep on playing. Well, it's a, um... it's a good travel game. It's a good travel game. Like, you know, start oh, yeah. it and then, and then when you have a lot of business travel, obviously none of us do right now, but yeah. um, to just play, you know, on a flight to LA, play for an hour from San Francisco, like that's the way, that's the way to do it now. Yeah, especially being able to play it in a portable setting uh, now is just uh, fantastic. And j just talking to you about it makes me want to start that game up again, but good God, I don't have time because there's <laughs> so much. There's so many other things to play. Uh, so, Per, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, we we always try and have the guest close out the show by saying the motto, which is resolution doesn't matter. <laughs> I will happily do that. Resolution doesn't matter. The theme song for 143 Pixels is Through a Cardboard World by Tony Lays. You can find more of their music at tonylays.bandcamp.com. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can find it at pixels143. And if you want to follow me, I'm at runjumpstomp. This show is part of the Giant Size Team Up Network. For more information, head on over to gstu.net. You know, if there's a particular episode of 143 Pixels that speaks to you, you know, a game that you have played or a game that you started playing after listening to an episode of 143 Pixels, and you want to share your story with that game, then do me a favor and send an email to 143pixels at gmail.com. That's 143pixels at gmail.com. Tell me your story, and I'll share it on a mailbag episode of 143pixels.